Today's episode is sponsored by the City of Dublin's Division of Economic Development. The City of Dublin provides world-class, tailored business services and resources to ensure the best possible environment for businesses to recruit talent and thrive. Because of this strategic focus and commitment to employer growth, Dublin is the only accredited economic development organization in the state of Ohio. The City of Dublin supports startups and entrepreneurs by offering targeted resources and training programs to grow companies that are financially sustainable, innovative, and committed to creating jobs. Learn how other businesses depend on Dublin. Visit thriveindublinohio.com. Six One Four Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, founder of Six One Four Startups and host of this show. Welcome to another episode, and I'm excited today because I have my very special guest in the hot seat. Not so hot, right? We're gonna we're gonna chat this up like some old friends. Lindsay Michaelides of Strong Suit. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Elio. Happy to be here. All right, so I'm kind of a, a like a secret fan. Oh, um, I have I no missed, idea. Yeah, I missed my first opportunity to see you in person at Rev One. I came late, ah. but um, all the folks that I know in the community have been raving about you and what you're building. Mm. So I'm so happy to get some exclusive time with you just for us to chat and get to know one another. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I feel, and I feel the same way about you. So like we we're not catching up as longtime friends, but catching up as like longtime secret, secret crushes or secret, you know, secret supporters. So excited I like about this. it. <laughs> I like crush. Crush really means a lot to me. So I'll take it. All right. So for people who don't know you and I don't know you that well, even though I yeah. admire what you're building, uh, why don't we start up, uh, with a little bit about you, your personal and professional background and how you became an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, like I said, Lindsay Michaelides. Um, I am Ohio born and bred and raised. I was born and raised uh, just down the road in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, then left Ohio um, for college and was gone and left Ohio for college, for grad school, for my career for a while, was, was out of the state for, you know, one of a decade. Um, when I first came back to Ohio, um, we, my husband and I ended up in Cleveland, actually. And even though when I left Ohio, had an amazing time growing up in Cincinnati and Ohio, but I kind of thought like, I'm probably not going to end up back there. Like, I'm probably not going to make my way back to Ohio permanently at any point in time. But little did I know I would fall in love with a boy who was born and raised in Worthington. Um, and so my husband and I you know, started our careers. And like I said, we're, we're all over the place. Um, and then both ended up coming back to Cleveland because my husband was like, we are definitely going back to Ohio. Like we're, we're gonna get our way back there at some point. Um, so landed in Cleveland, then came down to Columbus in about 2014. And so I often joke with people that I'm kind of setting myself up for like after strong suit IPOs and I've got you know all the time and money in the world, I've set myself up for a future gubernatorial campaign because I can say like, I've lived in all three of the big C's at some point um, in my life and throughout my career. Um, a huge lover of Ohio. Um, live here now in Bexley. I'm based in Bexley uh, with my husband and four kids. Um, I'm, like I said, a mother to four. I have uh, four kids, seven and under. So I've got a seven-year-old boy, a five-year-old boy, and three-year-old twin girls. Um, 
my all of my family is still in Cincinnati. And that's kind of the, I guess, the personal side. Professionally, uh, I'm one of those weird people who has kind of been a business strategist for my entire career. I kind of stumbled onto it really early in life. Um, so I've really been focused on like business growth strategies for my entire career. I've worked um, worked in that space across media, across retail, across healthcare, both internally with some really big companies, um, and then also as a as a consultant at McKinsey and Company. And it was actually my work at McKinsey and Company that really kind of planted the original seeds for a strong suit um, and is what you know, ultimately brought us back here to Columbus. My husband um, took a job with Worthington Industries, which is how he ended up here in Columbus. And at the time, I was still working for McKinsey and Company, and so it didn't really matter where I lived. Like I, you know, I was on the road four or five days a week anyway, so I could live anywhere. Um, so we landed here in Columbus in Victorian Village initially. Um, and shortly after we were here, I had my first child. Um, so this kind of takes us back to like 2015. And so it's early 2015. Um, I was at the height of my career at McKinsey, McKinsey and Company on the fast track to partner, absolutely loved what I was doing, thought I was solving the toughest problems with the smartest people and I was doing the coolest work and had my first kid. I was like, this isn't going to change anything. I can still work 100 hours a week and, you know, travel four or five days a week. Like, this is going to be fine. Um, obviously, that's it's a lot harder than it looks. Um, but kind of even more interesting than that, when I first came back to McKinsey after my maternity leave with my first child, they said, okay, we've got this interesting project for you now that you're back. The, the project we want you to lead is actually for the firm. And so McKinsey will be the client. And the problem that you're trying to solve is we have a leaky female pipeline. And we have all these incredibly talented women who start at the firm, we train you, we love you, do amazing work, and then eventually they leave. And we, they kind of, kind of isolated the period in time when most of their top female talent was leaving the firm. And they said, we want you to figure out, like, why, why is the pipeline so leaky here? And what can we do to fix it? Um, so it was a super interesting problem to solve. I had been really passionate about um, mentoring women at the firm and women's leadership in general and business for a really long time, um, but also a particularly interesting problem for me to solve at that kind of inflection point in my life as a new mom, kind of going back to a, a career that was really important to me. Um, and what was so interesting about that project is in true McKinsey fashion, we like dug into all the data, looked at reams of data, interviewed hundreds of top performers who had left the firm, and uncovered a couple of key insights that, that really were the beginning seeds of strong suit. The first was that it actually wasn't a women's issue. It's just that the numbers make it look like a women's issue. What we actually found was that it was a dual career household issue, which I think like everybody knows demographically today, dual career households are kind of overwhelmingly becoming the norm, where that was not the case you know, with our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation even more so. Um, so that was kind of the first key insight. And the second key insight was that it was actually drop balls at home and in their personal lives that was leaving these top performers to leave. So we would hear the same stories from people over and over and over again. And they'd tell us that they forgot their nephew's birthday. They forgot to sign up their son for the soccer tryouts that they wanted to try out for. And so then their kid didn't talk to them for an entire week. Or they told their partner that they would buy tickets to the school fundraiser and they didn't do it. And they were the only family that wasn't at the school fundraiser. Or they completely dropped the ball on their anniversary and they felt like they were completely neglected to their spouse. So you can kind of see like how these drop balls start to add up. They're things that all of us have experienced at some point in our lives. And we would hear these same stories over, over and over and over again. And it was the same thing constantly. 
And what we would hear from people is that, you know, dropping one of these balls every once in a while isn't that big of a deal. Like it doesn't feel great, but you, you can kind of move forward. But after a while, they start to pile up and people will just kind of throw their hands in the air and say like, I, I like something's got to give. And obviously like my, my family can't give. So I guess this intense job that I have, that I have is going to have to give. And I'm going to go try to find a different job that maybe isn't quite as demanding of my time and energy. Um, and when we would, when we talked to these people who had left and we'd say like, okay, so you've, you've been gone for a couple of years. Like what's, did that solve it? And they'd say like, no, turns out <laughs> like, excuse my language, but it's the same damn stuff. Like it just follows you everywhere you go. And so it was kind of fascinating that we realized that, you know, it was really a mismatch between the demands that people were facing both in their personal and their professional lives and just not enough time and and even more than time it's not enough mental bandwidth to manage it all and so that's when I really became obsessed with this problem of the mental load and how we can manage this for folks so that they can keep their foot on the gas at work but then not sacrifice their personal relationships um, while they continue to excel at their career so I mean fascinating points all around you know, uh, one thing I have to say about uh, Columbus guys, we do know how to make ladies fall in love. So the Worthington kid who <laughs> did this thing, city boys are still winning. Okay, so I, and I appreciate that. Now I'm a dad too, a uh, dad to a six-year-old. So and then you have three-year-old twins. So um, I, I'm working from home. I'm recording from home. So that it, it is all part of the process, right? You're doing yep. things. Your kid needs your attention. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And do you want to make your first uh, debut on the podcast? Come on. Yes. Over. This is this is Elia. Say hi. Hi, Elia. All right. All right. Give us a moment. Let's finish, okay? So this is kind of like a perfect I love uh, this. moment, right? Of, of 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 how work and life and all intersect. Yes. Um. And so that's what we're all dealing with, and that's what Strong Suit is about. In some environments, and it feels like maybe this is part of what the company, maybe McKinsey, and not, it's not to throw them under the bus, was dealing with. It's, it's yep. whether or not um, they could find a way to help their employees adopt, or they needed to find a way to help McKinsey adopt. Yep, so in, in, in kind of that scenario, in, in kind of the early thinking about this, where do you think the magic lies? Is it, is, is it lying with company culture shifting to accommodate what's happening in the lives of their employees? or finding better strategies for employees to try to make it work within whatever culture that they exist in? So I think it's definitely both because I think that the culture, like corporate culture has to change. And I think this is what has been, you know, been so fascinating for me since like that first study that I did at McKinsey in 2015, that kind of, you know, opened my eyes to this problem and not only the impact that individuals are facing, but also the impact that this problem was having on businesses. Because I think like, you know, in 2015, I was a brand new parent. You were probably like soon to be a brand new parent if your daughter's six years old. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like at the time, like parents already knew this, like working parents knew that this was just like a game that is unwinnable. It can feel like at times, but at the same time, businesses weren't seeing the impact to their bottom line and weren't realizing the impact of it. And I think where we've seen so much change since then is that I think businesses are starting to realize the impact that this has on folks. And, you know, when I even think about that work in 2015, it was really kind of hard to get people to come along to the insights that we had uncovered, because as we tried to tell them, like, oh, we've got great news, like it's not a female pipeline problem. It's actually a dual career households problem. It just so happens that like 
women in really intense careers are almost always in dual career households. And so like that, that's the difference. And so we, and we also uncovered that I, my male peers at the time, if they were in a dual career household, they were actually more likely to leave the firm after they started their families than someone like, than a woman was. So like tons of interesting data to support this. But at the time, the leaders kind of sat back and were like, huh, do we have to help them with stuff at home? Like that just kind of feels like there kind of felt like there was this like invisible wall between like what employers and employees talked about and how we could talk about these problems and how these things that we're facing at home actually show up and work. I mean, and this is where so much has shifted because previously, like right now, I didn't even know your daughter was just off screen. And like previously, you're going into an office and like your daughter is totally like not visible at all to your employer. They don't even know how your daughter factors into your life. But suddenly we're in this world where like kind of the aperture of our personal lives and our home lives has suddenly become like the aperture's really expanded. And suddenly our employers and our colleagues and our coworkers are seeing all these things and they're seeing what, what our personal lives look like. And they're seeing the impact of our personal lives on our work. And we're seeing the impact of our work on our personal lives. And so I think like this dynamic that working parents have been feeling forever around, like there's not a work life and a home life. There's just like a life and like all this stuff has to get done. <laughs> and so something's got to give at the end of the day. And for so long, employers were just not really like looking at or willing to see that dynamic and that struggle. And I think that's where we've really evolved um, and are, are frankly continuing to evolve. But to your earlier question, I think like the companies need to involve how, evolve how they're thinking about it. And I, I believe we're like at the beginning of that. We still have a lot, a lot of a long way to go. But at the same time, like just thinking about it differently isn't enough. Like we actually need like real practical solutions that help people manage all these things. Because just saying like, I think it's, it is a huge, uh, it's huge, a huge movement for an employer to say, Hey, Elio, like we know that you have a daughter. We know that, you know, that has a real impact on your life, that you've got concerns outside of work. Like we get it. Like that's a movement from even 10, 10 years ago. But to then say like, okay, and here's how we're going to help you balance it all. Here's how we're going to help you balance your role as a father um, and as a professional so that you can feel like you're showing up as your, at, as your best in both scenarios. Because, you know, for your employer, like it behooves them if you're showing up at your best at work and you're showing up at, you're more likely to show up as your best professional self if you know that you're taking care of things at home too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to avoid gendering this debate as tempting as it is, right? Um, because at the end of the day, we all need help. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and the willingness for companies to look at their employees, not in terms of their gender, meaning that was the genesis of um, the, the, the problem that, that was observed. The data demonstrated something different. And the true problem is about yep. um, these multi-career households and people trying to figure out a way to balance it all. But the aspect of their life that may be hurt the most is the aspect that the employer cannot see, yes. right? And, and it's affecting the employer, but they just couldn't see it. And they didn't yep. know how to get to that problem or, or where the line could be drawn between an employer-employee relationship of trying to go too far in an effort to help their employees be better. Okay. So yep. um, I, I think I, I have a sense of the problem, but like mm -hmm. all great founders who thought about their company, <laughs> uh, you know, for a very long time, I want you to give us 
the value proposition, right? So mm -hmm. the problem solution statement. Yep. What problem exactly are you solving? I think we kind of alluded to that. Yep. Um, how do you go about solving that problem and why does it matter? Yeah, absolutely. So strong suit, I'll start with like what we are and then we'll get into kind of exactly those questions that you just laid out. So you can think of strong suit as a smart, scalable assistant for professional parents. So what do we do and what's the value proposition? We eliminate the mental load so that you can be your best at work and at home. And how do we do it? We use data to get to know you, to anticipate the needs of you and your family, and to proactively provide you with reminders and solutions before you ever have to ask for help. And we pair that with human support to get the job done and execute and get you over the finish line. Okay, I love it. So here's the thing, right? You, you, you it's that classic thing like a first-time founder. Um, there's a, you, you like see people with executive assistants. Yep. And you're like, nah. You know, I'm like, mm -mm, I, I'm gonna spend that money elsewhere, right? The company yep. needs investments elsewhere. Yep. It feels very much the same as you're talking about that. Like me, I'll be like, mm, I don't know. I, am I at a point where I could really benefit? from an assistant. So how in your conversations when you're either approaching um, a company or you're approaching an individual about the problem that strong suit solves, what is kind of the initial reaction? Is it similar to what my reaction is? And how are you getting people to understand that this is no longer a nice to have in a lot of ways, like the founder of a company, uh, you need to be the founder of your life, CEO of your life and think about yeah. it in that way. What are you hearing back when you, when you talk to people about your solution? Yeah, I think it really depends on kind of where people are. And so um, this actually, like, I can tell you a little bit about Strong Suit's journey and to kind of tie all this together. So, you know, when we first started and when I first, you know, went full time at, at building Strong Suit, I had this hypothesis based off of, you know, part of my, the work that I had started at McKinsey and some additional customer discovery that I had done. And I said, I've got this hypothesis that employers are going to be willing to pay for this. And then I, I wasn't quite sure what, how you framed it to employers, but I was like, maybe it's about maintaining diversity in your leadership pipeline. Maybe it's about, um, you know, making sure that your people don't burn out. Like I wasn't quite sure that I prop, but I was like, I think that employers are going to buy this for their people. And so I said, okay, who do I know in, that's in an HR leadership role? So reached out to a handful of people that were in HR leadership roles in my network, sat down for coffee with them. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Here's what I'm working on. Like, here's how I think it would benefit an employer. Can you give me some feedback? And based on those early conversations, we sold two paid enterprise pilots before we had even a single thing built. And so, and brought in about $100,000 in revenue from those early pilots. And for those employers, they were really focused on maintaining diversity in their leadership pipelines. So they were looking at very specific cohorts of individuals in their leadership pipelines. And they were saying, you know, we need to make sure that our leader, our C-suite 10 years from now does not all look like white men with stay-at-home wives. Because frankly, like that's what it was yesterday. And for many, in many cases, that's what it is today. And it can't be that tomorrow. So if it's not going to be that tomorrow, then we have to employ a lot of strategies on how do we get the right people into that pipeline? And then how do we keep those people in that pipeline? And then when I talked to them about what we were doing, they were like, you're kind of hitting on an aspect of the problem of for keeping people in the pipeline that nobody's really thinking about. Because for so long, people were looking at, okay, how do we make sure that we get more people into the top of the funnel of that pipeline, which is super important. And how do we make sure they get the coaching and the mentorship and the development along the way to keep them there? But then how, how do we also support them as a whole person to keep them at our company and not to have them you know, go to a different company? 
And so we really quickly were able to sell those enterprise pilots for those reasons. Um, then at the same time, so then, you know, that was in like 2018, 2019, um, that we were running those pilots, then the pandemic hits. And then suddenly we realized there's not, this is not a great time to go out and sell to enterprise customers at this point in time, right? As the pandemic hits, which was right as we closed our pre-seed round. And so we said, okay, we're going to focus on our product. As we started building out the tech and focusing on our product, then something really interesting happened. We started getting tons of inbound from individuals. And I joke with folks and I say, like, it was almost like we went out of our way to have no digital footprint. We've got a .co domain. We didn't spend a cent on SEO. We didn't spend a cent on any kind of marketing. Like, I was only out there talking to employers. I had a couple of, you know, B2B employer decks and was not talking to anybody else outside of that. And suddenly we would find these people that they'd find their way to our website. They'd find a little corner where there was the in, email us at info at strongsuit.co. And they would email it and it would get sent to me. And it was the same kind of profile over and over and over again. It was a woman who was a sales leader at Amazon with two young kids, um, a product manager at Spotify with two young kids, um, a product manager at, at Microsoft with two young kids. And so you can kind of see where this is going, where it was all of these individuals who are in dual career households. Oftentimes it was the women who was finding us. Um, with intense careers, their partner has intense careers, and they had young kids at home, and they were like, I like, I just can't manage it all. I'm about to explode. I need help. And what was fascinating is like the first few times that these emails came in, I'd get on the phone with them and I'd say, So we're a B2B. Um, I would love to help you. They'd tell me what was going on and say, like, I know that we can help you, but we're B2B. Put me in touch with your employer and let's see if we can get them to cover it and do a pilot with us. And they'd say, like, I'm happy to put you in touch with my employer. But here's the thing. It's Amazon. It's going to take freaking forever. Like, I need help. I'm dying now. Like, give me a life preserver. And so the first few people I said, okay, fine. Well, we'll take you on. I'll take pity on you. Um, please help us get in with your employer. And let's see what goes from there. And then suddenly this started happening a lot. And it, it was very quickly became obvious, like, oh, th this is pool. Like, this is pool. We lean into this. <laughs> and so we completely transitioned our strategy and started, go and started approaching it from like a bottoms up perspective. And so we said, okay, instead of trying to go to the employers and kind of convince them of what the value proposition is to them and why they should be buying this for their employees, like that still would work. But God, wouldn't it be better if there was one of their employees that was making the case for us? And so if we want their employees to make the case for us, like how do we define that really tight ideal customer profile or ideal user profile of the end user who we need to talk to them and sell it to them and then get them to sell it into their employer? And so for those individuals, this is where we started kind of slowly testing some of our messaging and some of our ICPs over time. And we got to a really tight ideal customer profile that said, okay, if it's a woman who typically has been in her career at least 10 years, oftentimes has a graduate degree, has made huge investments of time and money in their career, um, has kind of like doubled down, so to speak, on what they're, what they're doing with their career, has a partner, is either a single parent or is in a household with a partner with an equally demanding career, has usually at least two kids at home under the age of 14, or maybe has one kid and is considering adding a second child. And so over time, we kind of slowly got to this profile where we figured out if we can talk to that person, if we can just get in front of them and then tell them, like, we solve the mental load, here's how we do it. Here's what it will feel like to you. 
then within a 15 minute conversation, they're like, yes, sign me up, done. And so after, over the last couple of years, since we switched to that strategy, we've seen that play off time and time again, where it becomes kind of like shooting fish in a barrel if we can get to that right person. And then we can delight them and change their lives so much that then they're kind of singing our praises and they do all the selling for us internally with their employers. Yeah, listen, uh, you are tuned in right now to 614 Startups Podcast. Fascinating conversation with my guest, Lindsay Michaelides of StrongSuit. Give us just a few moments. We're going to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back to continue this conversation. This episode is brought to you by Rev1. RevOne's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with RevOne connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with RevOne Startup Studio by visiting RevOneVentures.com to learn more. Again, the website is RevOneVentures.com. This episode is brought to you by KJK. Tired of the billable hour? KJK has a solution. The KJK GC Advantage program offers businesses comprehensive legal services in the areas of employment, corporate services, real estate, trademark, intellectual property, and estate planning, all for a set monthly fee. KJK serves as their clients' partners in business, not just their lawyers. Along with cost certainty and predictability, the KJK GC Advantage program gives clients peace of mind, knowing their projects will be handled quickly and efficiently, maximizing the return on investment on their legal spend. So don't go it alone. Let KJK help. Learn more by visiting KJK.com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back to my conversation with Lindsay Michaelides of StrongSuit. All right, Lindsay. I'm completely glued, okay? You got me because this is my life. Now, I'm not a lady, right? But I can feel their pain. So you're definitely hitting on a pain point. But for the employer, which was your first customer, kind of the first approach yep. that you took, there was there had to be some way of quantifying the problem. Mm-hmm. In your research, how do employers think about the cost of the problem versus the investment in the solution to solve it? Because, hey, I'll pay whatever if it's a billion dollar problem, right? As long as the return yep. on, uh, on investment is justified. So what did you find in your research in working with businesses and with individuals? How are people quantifying this to determine the real value of StrongSuit? Yeah, absolutely. So on the business side of things, the thing that tends to like really capture the attention of our B2B and our enterprise customers is really around attrition. And so what is it, what is going to make someone more likely to leave a company? And then what is the cost to that company if that individual were to leave the company? And so most of the companies that we work with, um, they're providing strong suit to a particular tier of employees typically. So it's usually um, folks that are at kind of their executive ranks or a director level rank, like folks that are kind of a little bit further along in their career per se. Um, and have leadership roles or are managing teams within their organizations. So oftentimes our enterprise customers are providing strong suit um, as kind of a perk to their employees as they're taking on additional responsibilities within their organization. And so for the, that employer, as they think about, you know, maintaining the high performance of that individual um, on a day-to-day basis, but even more importantly, kind of keeping that individual within their company, they're really worried about what is going to, what is going to cause that individual to leave and then how much is it going to cost the company when they do leave. 
So no, before just... let me stop you there, okay? Because then yeah. the interrupter in me is now coming out. Um, yeah, go so, for it. Yeah. So do they know that? Like, do they? I mean, they know it's a problem, but have yeah. they associated an actual dollar amount with the problem, or they're just generally saying to themselves, "Hey, li- listen, we just got to do something." What did you find? Do they know? Do they have a number to the problem? Yeah, absolutely. So based on the the individuals that we're serving at the level of organization that they're the level that they are at in their organizations, um, the cost to replace these individuals if they were to leave their company is definitely in the six figures because you're talking not only about the cost of you know sourcing and recruiting and bringing somebody through the entire recruitment process, but also training them up, the knowledge transfer that happens. So we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 150 to north of $200,000 per individual that leaves their company if these key individuals were to leave. So that's the cost that they're expecting. Then you kind of back into that and you say like, okay, let's say that it's $200,000 to replace this person if they were to leave. That's the cost to me as the employer. How likely do I think it is that they're going to leave? And this is when you can start to layer on like some probabilities. And what we've seen is that over year over year, when folks like Bright Horizons does an incredible study every year of working parents. Year over year, when they ask working parents, how many of you would be willing to leave a job to go to a different job that has more family-friendly benefits? And then they list out what some of those benefits are. More than year over year, that percent is increasing. It started at about 63% a few years ago. And now we're close to 70% of working parents would leave their job to go to another company that is more supportive of them as a working parent. So like we're seeing this increase exponentially year over year, and that number just keeps going up and up. And so when you start to layer those things on, like the, the likelihood that they would be willing to leave for someone that gives them more benefits, the likelihood that they're burnt out based on their workload and the fact that they are a working parent, and you can kind of start to layer all these probabilities on top of each other to say, okay, where, who do we think is a flight risk? And where do we think we need to make some investments to make sure that we're not absorbing the cost of all these folks leaving and, be, and burning out at the end of the day? Okay, so I know um, it, it, when HR is screaming about uh, customer, reti- I mean, excuse me, employee retention, it uh-huh. has the ear of the decision makers and the board. So that, that's definitely a great group of folks um, to have um, advocating on your behalf or on behalf of your solution when it comes to decision making within an organization. All right, so now that we had a kind of a quantification of the problem from a business perspective, how can we as individuals, right, think of in a very similar manner, the cost of the psychic burden, the cost of maybe transitioning jobs in this jobs environment? How do we as individuals quantify the cost of living this way? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where I, you know, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface with this because it's one of the things that we found that's super fascinating. Um, and is it actually like a huge difference between women and men? Um, or what we found is that our customers that are men, they have, they value their time at a much higher value than women do. Even if you just look at their time and you say like, okay, we've got, you know, Jack and Jane, and they both have the same job. They're both making the same income. Jack is far more likely to put a higher value on his time than Jane is. And is far more likely to make purchases and to make investments in things like strong suit and other things that help kind of, you know, pay dividends on his time, so to speak, than Jane is. 
So this is like one kind of fascinating things that we're still kind of trying to wrap our, wrap our heads around around like, okay, how do you think about messaging that differently to the jacks of the world versus the genes of the world? Um, and this is where like, again, at this point, it, like we have more demand for strong suits than we have been able to keep up with. And so we haven't had to kind of scale some of these challenges the way that I, we know that we will have to scale them in the future. Because right now, the like that tight ICP that I talked about earlier, where we say like, okay, we know that if we talk to this, this person who looks exactly like this, if we talk to this profile, then they automatically buy a strong suit. Those people are finding their way to us because they feel like they're drowning. And they say, like, I know that my career is super important to me. I've put in a lot of effort and time and potentially even financial investment to get myself to this point in my career. And I'm not willing to give that up. It's very important to me. But at the same time, I also feel like I'm dropping balls at home. And that also is not okay. And so I'm going to make an investment that allows me to continue to keep my foot on the gas at work and makes and helps me feel like I'm not dropping so many balls at home and I'm not sacrificing my personal relationships in the meantime. And so we've kind of been very fortunate that this tight ICP that we've defined, that that, in, that kind of profile of individual, they feel this problem so acutely that we don't even have to sell it to them at all. Like they find their way to us and they're like, yeah, I'll just buy it. Now, like we've got a lot of headroom for growth just within that ICP alone and to continue to grow and farm the enterprise customers that we have today and to move the individual customers we have today into enterprise accounts like tons of headroom for growth, but like eventually we're going to have to scale that kind of next, that next peak um, that I think you've identified, which is, okay, if I can, if I, I know I can sell it to the employers, I know I can sell it to the person whose like pants are on fire because they feel the problem so acutely. Um, I know I can sell it to the Jacks because I know how Jack values his time. How do I sell it to Jane when she maybe doesn't have her pants on fire? Like that's one thing that we're still trying to wrestle with a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I take your point is well taken about men and the value of their time, but there's also the debate as to who controls the purse strings. Mm -hmm. So let's think of a we're sticking with the dual household because I I, I yep. know you specified that some people are single parent household and they are the sole decision maker. Yep. But let's say you do have a dual household. Yep. And somebody has to decide who gets the executive assistant. Okay. Are you starting to have some conversations around that? Because although men tend to maybe value their time more, they're more susceptible to the culture of suck it up more, meaning that mm. your, your, your clients may come to you and they will spend that money, right? Whereas the man, even though they might value their time in theory, may not uh, be uh, uh, the cultural context within which they're experiencing their workload might say to them, suck it up. Are you seeing any differences in adoption um, for, mm. between that? Because even though there's a difference in value of time, there's a, you know, do, do they have barriers to actually spending the money? So this is fascinating. So I would say like we, where we see the suck it up on the workload is women. The women are saying like, I just have to suck it up and like, I have to figure it out. What we find with our male um, customers and the men that find them their way to us is this is like, we have a very clear profile um, of, of kind of male customers that find our way to us. And they say, hey, I want to be an equal partner at home. 
my partner is amazing. They are super smart. They deserve to do everything they want in their career. And I know that I could be doing more at home to make that easier for them. And I want to be more equal partner at home. I don't exactly know how to do it. And I know that they're carrying this mental load and that sometimes they tell me what I need to do, but I can't anticipate that advance. And I want help anticipating it and like being able to like own something from conception to execution and all the way through without them having to tell me exactly what to do. So like the oftentimes men come to us because they say like, help me be a more equal partner at home, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And like another kind of great, like great thing that we're seeing. Listen, thank you, Lindsay, for giving me that because now I have my reason to get an executive assistant. Baby, I want to be a more equal partner. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that sells. Exactly. That will get it. it. All right. I appreciate that. So talk about (laughs) insights that matter. I could use that insight. All right, great. So now here's the cultural question. Yep. Um, You know, is a world that requires strong suits healthy physically mentally and also is that world sustainable what are your thoughts on that so i think absolutely like 100 absolutely and like i appreciate the question too because there's kind of like two maybe they're like trite sayings that come to mind that i think like exemplify this for me so one is um i think it's a howard truman quote and he says like don't ask what the world needs but ask but ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. And so I think I believe fully in that. And I think strong suit is, is kind of helping towards that because for some people like their career makes them come alive, their work outside of the home makes them come alive. That's not the case with everybody. And it doesn't like, we need all kinds. We need people who come alive from their professional work. We need people who come alive by, know, raising their kids, staying home and raising their kids or people who come alive by keeping a beautiful garden, like whatever that might be, like people, we need people who come alive. And so what Strong Suit's trying to do is to support people in coming alive, whatever that means to them. And kind of the second kind of, again, trite quote that comes to mind or kind of trite saying is, and this is something that comes from my time in healthcare, but in healthcare, we would often talk about um, helping our practitioners and helping our healthcare providers operate at the top of their license. And what that means is that you want to help everyone operate at the top of their license, which means that they are, they're kind of using the full extent of their knowledge and capabilities and abilities and education and training. And they're not spending any time doing tasks that could be performed by somebody else. So when I think about kind of bringing these two concepts together, what we want to do is get people to a place where they're doing the work that makes them come alive. And on top of that, they're operating at the top of their license and we're taking away the work that, you know, is not the best use of their skills and abilities or does not make them come alive. And we're putting that somewhere else where hopefully there is other people or technology that can handle that work to allow that individual to operate at the top of their license doing the work that makes them come alive. And so that's really what we think about at StrongSuit where... I don't, I don't ever want to create strong suit to just propagate a hustle culture that says like people need to work themselves to the bone and not be there for their families and grind it out day in and day out. Like, like actually we want to do entirely the contrary. And instead we want to say like, you need to create 
the life that works for you, where you're doing the things that make you come alive, you're present in the moment. Like that, that's a big thing for us. Like as we talk about solving the mental load, like the part, part of why we're trying to solve the mental load is because like the mental load is that, that list of stuff that's always going on in the back of your head. Think about how present you could be if that was gone from your mind. If that was suddenly gone from your mind, like when you're sitting, whether it means you're at a board meeting at work and you can be fully present and there on your A game, or if that means, and this is often the case, like for me and my household, that that mental load is gone. And so when I close my office door at the end of the day and I sit down and I, my son asked me to do magnetiles with him, like I'm actually there doing magnetiles. I'm not thinking through the list of other stuff that I didn't get done today or the preschool forms that have to be filled out that are on the corner or did I actually follow up and and like sign, do that soccer sign up that I have to do? Did I completely drop the ball on my brother-in-law's birthday, which is Saturday, which like, yeah, I probably did. That stuff is gone and out of my head. And instead I can actually like be there and do the magnetiles. Because like that's that's what I want to what I really want to be doing and like at that moment doing the magnetiles is me doing what brings me makes me feel alive and operating at the top of my license because at that moment like somebody else can do the other stuff like I need to be doing the magnetiles to be at the top of my license. <laughs> okay, okay. So here, let me throw you a curveball here. Okay, so yeah. I get it. We all need to be operating at the top of our license, but as you grow. Who's going to take care of your employees who are taking care of us who need to operate at the top of our license? Like the strong suit employees? Correct. Because yeah. the, they, are, they are helping the world live their best lives. Yep. But that's often what we are all trying to do in our careers, right? Yep. We're, we're giving up a piece of ourselves so yep. that our clients can be their best selves. As yep. you're thinking about your company, who's going to take care of them? Yeah, absolutely. And this is why like, this is so core to what we're building at StrongSuit and how we're building the company as a whole. So like, first off, I think the, that like ticker tape of mental to-do list, like the actual mental load of remembering all the things, which is a big part of it, like that can totally be handled by technology. So what we're trying to focus on is like, okay, what can be handled by technology that we just need to build the technology in a way that is frictionless enough that we can kind of easily get from Elio the data and information that we need from him to be able to predict his needs. And then we can write the algorithms that allow us to say like, okay, we know that, um, you know, Elio's daughter is about to have a seven year, is about to turn seven, and he's going to want to throw a birthday party for her based on everything we know about Elio and based on all of the birthday parties for seven-year-old girls that we have planned over the course of Strong Suit, like we're, we know that she wants a unicorn-themed birthday party. And we already know kind of like Elio's purchasing habits, stores that he likes to shop from, he likes to shop local versus he likes to order everything off of Amazon, or he likes to have everything delivered to home, but he doesn't like Amazon. So he actually orders everything from Target. Uh, like all of these are the little things that can all be automated through technology. And then our team is doing a couple of things. We have one team who are kind of the content experts who are coming up with a strong suit approach for how we approach everything and what are our core recommendations. We have planned, I kid you not, hundreds of unicorn themed birthday parties. Like if you have a little girl who is between the ages of like three and 10, the likelihood that she's going to want a unicorn themed birthday party at some point in time, is pretty darn high. 
Like we've planned it. There's no reason for you or your wife or anybody to spend any time on Pinterest or cruising the internet trying to figure out how to throw a unicorn theme birthday party and where you get the little cake topper and all that kind of stuff. Like we've got that done for you. So this is one of those things where like we can have some of our team who love this type of stuff. They're the ones who are coming up with the content and the strong suit recommendations. Then marrying that work, which does allow them to operate at the top of their license with our technology, then we can bring the right answers to you at exactly the right time. And then we have another part of our team who helps with the execution of those things. Now, as we think about how we build the company and you tie all of this together, we're also really focused on kind of the whole lives of our, of our employees. So we have an entirely remote team. We've been remote since even prior to the pandemic. 90% of our team are working parents. We have a totally flexible and asynchronous model. So we only have three hours a day where people are required to be online right in the middle of the day. And so everyone has like has total flexibility over their schedules and we have great benefits for them. And we really can go out of our way to make sure that they are taken care of and that they can continue to take care of their family members in the way that, that we want them to be able to show up for their family members as well. Um, and what we found is that if you take care of these people and all you put all the pieces to get together in a way that works, then you get really amazing outcomes. Okay, you know I'm going to be a bugaboo behind the scenes talking about strong suit and keeping that company culture, especially as you grow, which is a tremendous challenge for anybody, right? How do you continue to take care of your employees as you scale? Because sometimes, you know, not sometimes, all the time, new, all the time, yeah. new levels bring new challenges. And so I'm very interested for a company that's helping people solve problems like this, how you intend to solve it for yourself. And I love that you're building this into your culture. So, folks. I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am because I'm really, really into it. But we're going to be back after these messages. So hopefully you hang in there with us for our final segment. We'll be right back. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Book and Street. Book & Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at bookandstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. 614 Startups Nation, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. This is our final segment. And we're gonna, we're, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Because this is where we're gonna find out how the software, how the employees at StrongSuit interact with the software in order to solve this problem. So Lindsay, lay it on us. How does the solution actually work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the way that it works is say that, you know, Elio tomorrow that you were to, to join as one of our members. So you first go through an onboarding process. And the first part of the onboarding process is you fill out our, our member, new member profile. 
And so that's where you give us a bunch of information about you, your family, your preferences, your pain points, everything from you know, your address to the number of kids you have, their names, where they go to school, their birth dates, um, all of that kind of stuff. And so we're able to use that data to then create what we call a master schedule of projects for Elio and his family. And that allows us to say, you know, to predict what the needs of you and your family are going to be over the course of the year based on the data that you've provided for us. And so that includes everything from important birthdays and anniversaries and holidays that you celebrate to, you know, I know that you live in a home in Ohio. So like the, the kind of seasonal home maintenance that comes with living in a home in Ohio is different than if you say live in an apartment in New York City. Like in Ohio, in the fall, we're probably going to have to remind you to get leaf bags and a rake or schedule the, you know, the gutter cleaner to come at, by over to your house to clean out your gutters. So like all of those little pieces of information that people give us from as simple as, you know, I live in a, in a standalone home in Ohio, like we, that triggers a bunch of things internally in our system to say like, okay, these are the things that we need to remind him of and tee up to him over the course of the year. So that's kind of the first part of the onboarding. Second part of the onboarding is you actually have an onboarding call with one of our customer success specialists where we get to know, we kind of double click into some areas, so to speak, on some of the data that you gave us and get to know some of the, the I call them like the jobs to be done. Like why is Elio hiring StrongSuit? And so what we're trying to get at here is really like the motivations behind people. So for instance, like a, a nugget that I often use is on one of these calls, like this is when the call goes really well. Um, on a recent onboarding call, one of our members said to us, like, I really just want to be a fun mom. Like, I feel like at the end of the day, I'm just so overwhelmed that, like, I just worry that I'm not a fun mom. So, like, that sets off a whole different set of triggers in our system that we're like, okay, we need to make sure that we are teeing up and providing ideas and options for this person to make them feel like they are executing on being a fun mom. And so all of it comes down to us, like, how do we get the right information that we need from you? And some of it is just like purely through technology. And some of it is through that human conversation on the front end so that then we can set all the right triggers that we can make sure that we are then pushing to you throughout the year, all of the reminders of things that are coming up that you need to be thinking about, giving you concrete solutions for what we think is the best option for you and your family or how we can help find the best option for you and your family, and then executing against those things as they come up. That's amazing. And now I'm getting extremely curious about all of the implications of the predictive capabilities of this software, because it's not just helping me solve the problem. It's creating little moments of delight. So like when I'm not thinking about changing my filter, somehow my filter just shows up at the door. These little opportunities to delight your customers. Let's get into that, right? What are you discovering with these little moments of delight? And are you receiving feedback like, oh my goodness, this is maybe a little bit freaky, right? Yeah. That you guys are helping me solve problems that I'm not even thinking about. How, how are you finding that um, interaction with your customers? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, what we found is that like, you're exactly right on the moments of delight. And we're continuously finding these little, um, like these little moments of delight that we can say like, universally, this is something, a, a moment of delight that people absolutely love. So I'll give you a really concrete example. Um, so one thing that we do a lot of for people is help them kind of like plan and manage all the details of their like annual family vacation. Um, so, you know, it can look different for lots of different people. But one of the things that we make sure that we always talk to them about, which people never think of, is we say, hey, 
So you're gonna, your whole family is going to be at the beach this summer. This could be a great opportunity to have a family photo taken that you have like one great family photo at the beach. You can use it for your family holiday card if you send out a holiday card. Like, how would you feel if I went ahead and found some photographers for you that could come to like come to the beach house that you're staying at and take a, a photo of your family on the beach one night? Like, would you be up for that? And people are like, oh my God, like we haven't had a fam- a real family photo taken in five years. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Like we'll, we'll get that taken care of. We make that appointment for you. Then we send you, we have like all set up already, like Pinterest boards of like, here's how the clothes to pack for your family that you already have. That so everybody coordinates. You don't have to buy anything new and it's going to look good on the beach while you're there. Like here's what to pack for people. And then since we've already been in contact with the photographer, because we help find them and book them for you. Then we circle back and we make sure like it's usually around this time in August and we say, okay, seems crazy, but you've got those beautiful photos taken back in June. Let's start talking about your holiday card. We're going to give you this aggregator link so that you can get quickly send this out to everybody in your contact list and get updated addresses for them. Once you do that, we'll go ahead and, and send it over and we're going to recommend this service and let's use this photo from when you from your family photos this year and we can get your holiday card knocked out and sent out the door, stamped, addressed, everything in like an, an hour's worth of time from you from start to finish and it'll be out the door by the week of Thanksgiving. And so beginning to tie all of the little things together and then come around then at Christmas time, it's like, hey, those photos, let's get some of those framed. And those would make a great gift for the grandparents in your life. Yeah. And at this point, people are probably asking me, Elio, how are you this amazing? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just this amazing. Okay. Exactly. But it's a really strong suit, right? And that's really true what you're trying to create because, you know, one of the biggest things with subscription models, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is something that you subscribe to, yep. um, uh, you, you got to, retention is big. So yep. maybe I'm just uh, exhausted mm-hmm. this month. And when yep. I feel like I'm back on that thing, and I'm really ready to ride this uh, th- this thing until uh, the wheels fall off again, I might yep. drop out of strong suit. Yep. But these little moments of delight, I think, create a lot of stickiness um, mm-hmm. for customers in the subscription model. So uh, I don't know if you want to share this or if the pricing is available on your website, but, you know, ballpark me here if, if you're willing to yep. share that or if it's so customized that pricing is really based on need, you can share that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, for an individual, pricing obviously like scales based on if you pay monthly, quarterly, annually. Um, But at this point, an annual membership for an individual is about $6,000. So definitely not cheap, but definitely like a far cry from the cost of having a personal assistant if you were to hire someone as an an individual. Um, And what we found is that we have a lot of people who like originally come to us and when they tell us a little bit about their needs, we'll tell them like, it sounds like you might need a personal assistant because we're focused entirely on everything related to your personal life. We don't do anything related to work. So if you need somebody, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, for instance, and you need somebody who can kind of pitch hit both like at work related stuff and help you with payroll and that type of stuff, but then also help with your personal life, we're going to say like, we're not the best fit for you there because we're not building out our team and our technology to have capabilities for work related things. Um, And that's not the type of stuff that we're predicting because, again, we're focused entirely on your personal and family life. Um, But oftentimes those people will come back to us and we'll talk them out of strong suit. And then they'll circle back and they'll say, like, okay, so I've got the assistant that's helping me at work. They actually can't do any of the home stuff. Like, they never think about it. They're never, like, they're just not on the ball with that. So can I come back and sign up for strong suit for that? 
so there definitely is, I would say, like a pretty specific use case. Um, but from a value perspective, for what we're focused on, we definitely kind of generate a ton of value for our members based on our price point. And then obviously the price is different for enterprise customers who purchase, you know, like a bulk number of seats um, for their employees. Love it. Love it. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that with us. So let's talk about roadmap, right? Let's talk about plans, yeah. milestone, funding over the next year. What does the next year, 2022 fall to 2023 fall, look like for Strong Suit? Yeah, so so much. We've got a lot going on. So like I said earlier, um, we haven't been able to keep up with all of the, the demand that we've had, which has been, uh, you know, a, a great but also like frustrating problem to have. <laughs> and so right now we're focused on kind of like four main milestones between now and we'll say like fall of 2023. So the first one is we're closing our seed round of funding. I think I mentioned we we raised a pre-seed round that we closed literally like the week that the pandemic hit. We were fortunate that we were oversubscribed. And I went out to San Francisco to have some final conversations with investors because we knew we had some choices to make, which was great. When I landed back in Columbus after those final conversations, I landed in Columbus and literally the next day, San Francisco went into shelter in place. And I think two days later was when the entire country shut down. So we close, we're fortunate to, to close our pre-seed round, like right as the world was shutting down. Um, and so now we're raising a proper seed round. So we're raising $3 million. We've got about 75% of that firmly committed at this point in our diligence with um, about half a dozen other firms right now um, and expect that we'll close the full round here sometime before the start of Q4. Um, so that's kind of milestone number one is to close that seed round. Then milestone number two is really all about margin growth. So again, like, since we haven't been able to keep up with the demand, we need to build out our technology to allow for much more scalable growth so that we can grow and scale at a much faster rate than we are today. So for us, that really means investments in our technology and our content teams. Um, we're really fortunate to just bring on an amazing CTO, Andrew Wath, um, who prior to joining us had been um, like one of the early engineers at Olive and had been a vice president of engineering at Olive for close to eight years, I believe it was. Um, so Andrew has recently joined our team as our CTO, and he's currently building out his tech team, um, which will really help us drive that, that scalable growth and, and really focus on that margin growth. So that's number one, and we have very clear margin targets that we are, plan to achieve over the next few quarters. Then the third milestone is top line revenue growth. So we have a plan to 10x our revenue between now and the end of 2023. And if we continue to hit all of those margin and revenue growth targets between now and the end of next year, then we're then that'll help us hit our fourth milestone, which is actually getting into a cash flow positive state or even positive EBITDA by early Q4 of next year. Okay, so aggressive. I like it, right? I like the 10x, right? Why not? Uh, especially if you have a plan to get there. And, and, and like you said, you already can't keep up with the demand. So some of that is pent up demand, trying to get to that exactly. 10X. It's not like you have to manufacture it. It's already there. You just got to be able to serve that demand. So for an ecosystem that's fairly young, uh, a lot of the incoming that we get, and I like to say um, the pivot at 614 Startups is that we are now becoming more of a community of founders raising capital between the coasts. And oh, you, interesting. You, 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 yeah, you raise some seed. I mean, pre-seed, you're raising seed now, 75% of the way there. What's your one kind of lesson learned that you, you could pass on to the founders that are listening to this podcast about raising capital, especially early? Yeah. Um, I would say like the one thing for me is that 
and I would say this goes for raising capital, but it also goes to so many other aspects of the business, my business as well. Um, when I find myself trying to sell something, like sell the problem, sell the company, sell our solution, sell me as a founder, like if I find myself like really working hard to like sell it, like that I should just walk away. Like it's a waste of time. And I would say like that goes in particular when raising capital. And I found this like time and time and time again, is that if somebody doesn't, if I'm selling them on the problem, on the company, like any of those things like it, that I said, they don't get it. It's not going to be a fit. Like they, they don't actually see the problem. They don't think that the problem is a problem or they don't think that our product is the right solution to that problem. Or maybe they don't think that the market is as big, like whatever it is, whenever I find myself kind of acti actively feeling like I'm going into sales mode, I'm like, oh, all right, this is going to be a waste of my time. And I think that's the one thing that I really took away from our pre-seed round was that I wasted a ton of time talking to people who like just did not get it at all. And that's fine. But I think like the thing that I have really learned this time around is like, just don't waste your time with those people. That's fine. Not everybody's going to get it. So like, like spend your time with the people who get it and are trying to understand more and are trying to understand your vision. Spend your time there and kind of quickly cut bait with everybody else. Yeah, I like it. And that takes discipline. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of times it takes learning the hard way, right? Because you feel as if the, part of it is like the seeking of validation. Totally. You want people to agree that this is a great idea, but not everybody is going to get it or not everybody is going to be the right investor for you uh, in the first place. So absolutely, absolutely fascinating conversation. I'm going to let you close us out with kind of the one thing, right? I already asked you for one thing on the fundraising side, but just, just generally being a founder. Um, if there's one thing that you can share uh, with a founder who's maybe kind of where you are, maybe a little bit earlier than you, what would that thing be that you say, man, if somebody told me this, um, it could have helped out a lot? I would say trust your gut. Like every time that I have kind of gone against my gut or second guessed myself, I have later regretted it. So I think that like, trust your gut is the big one for me. All right, I love it. Trust your gut and trust your gut that if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're probably overwhelmed and you need to call a strong suit, all right? They're trying to 10X this I thing. I love you it. Trust your gut. We need uh, you on our sales team, you know? Oh yeah, 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 call me, call me, call me. Um, <laughs> So thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely fascinating. Had a great time. Thank you for your patience also with some of the technical difficulties oh, and the life yeah. difficulties. I think if it, if it was ever going to happen, it needed to happen on this call because we're exactly. all living real lives. And guys, listen, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling a little bit too much pressure, there are a lot of resources out there. Talk to somebody, get some help, get some assistance, whether it's going to be strong suit or somebody else. Life is too precious. Your life matters, okay? So if you're feeling that strain, that overwhelm, reach out for help. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what community is all about. All right, folks, you've been listening to the 614 Startups Podcast. I am your humble host, Elio Harmon. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap, folks. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you'd like updates sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. 
To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614 Startups on all platforms and join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com.